0: Friends, welcome to episode 1155 of the Locked On Hawks Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Picks. Check out prizepix.com, use the promo code MBA, go to the App Store and download the app today. Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show is actually a two-part episode with my friend and friend of the podcast, Tyler Jones. This is part one, you're listening to now. Part two will be coming at the same time, essentially. So make sure you check that out after this podcast is over before we dive into a long conversation with Tyler about all kinds of stuff on the trade market and the Hawks' struggles recently, etc., a bit of news here at the top of the podcast that I will do solo, at least in terms of prep, um, because the, de- the deadline is actually about a month away for the trade deadline this year, and uh, things began kind of in earnest on Monday morning. Shamsaranya, in his inside pass column for The Athletic, wrote a lot about the Hawks and at least Hawks-adjacent things on Monday, so I will at least give out sort of the um, baseline here. And then we'll dive in a little bit more with Tyler. So some of the piece that Shams wrote was about Ben Simmons and his availability on the trade market. And there's reporting um, previously that um, Simmons could be available, of course, and the Hawks could be at least part of that with Mark Stein reporting that. But uh, initially in Shams' piece, it was reported that the Sixers do not appear to be any closer to a trade than they were in the offseason or prior to training camp. So nothing's really imminent there with regard to Simmons and or the Hawks. And he also named the Kings, Blazers, Wolves, and Pacers, as other teams that could be in pursuit of Ben Simmons. But he did note in that athletic piece that the Hawks are emerging as a potential landing spot for Simmons. And uh, nothing new slash detail in terms of reporting on this, though, with the Hawks and Simmons being um, linked together other than just the... uh, I guess, reported that they could be given a landing spot. There's no actual details. He did throw out John Collins and Ken Bradshaw as, quote, among the players who, who could acquiesce a package for Simmons, end quote. But he worded it as sort of a scan of the roster, and it was not a report those guys would be available in a deal for Simmons. In fact, Shams said it was, quote, unclear, end quote, whether the Hawks would be ready to actually make that kind of proposal to Philadelphia after what they did last year and where they are right now. So basically... The reporting is not terribly new and would not be worth a full-blown segment, except for the fact that John Collins was um, also weaved in with some other non-trade stuff from Shams today. He reported that Collins, quote, has grown increasingly frustrated over his role in Atlanta, end quote, and also has noted that Collins, quote, has challenged the locker room for the Hawks on multiple occasions to play team basketball and commit to one another this season but he has also reported that there's oftentimes Collins has felt his voice go unheard, end quote. A lot of stuff to cover there. Um, in terms of context, this is not the first time that there's been rumblings about this with regard to Collins and not being thrilled with the role Dating back to last season famously in the middle of the year. And right now, his usage rate, which is uh, sort of a, a catch-all in terms of how much you're used on offense, is actually at the lowest level that it's been since his rookie season. It's about 20% this year. Last year was about 22%. Previous year about 23%, 24%. So it's notably down. Um, his numbers still look fine, obviously, overall. But he's taken the fewest shots per 100 possessions of his career, at least in terms of uh, until his rookie season. And then only about 18 shots per 100 possessions. It's pretty low for a guy who's number two option on a team. His efficiency is still fantastic. It's, it's actually, his passing's been better this year. Um, career best turnover rate overall. So he's not. it's not like he's playing worse this year, but Collins has not had the ball at least had as many shots as he's had in previous seasons. I've talked about this many times on the show, but he's been, he has been—he needs to be more involved offensively. Um, the Hawks could do more to get him involved, get him, get him more shots. I should also say that Collins is not exactly the kind of guy that you just throw the ball to and get out of the way. He's not a guy that you know, creates for himself a ton. There's some of that for sure in the mid-range and around, around the rim, but you don't just throw him the ball and get out of the way, basically. So there's always a the touch-and-go kind of thing there with the offense. Um, I haven't necessarily heard this stuff about Collins being frustrated with his role in particular this year, but it was also reported by The Athletic's Chris Kirchner on Monday that he's also frustrated with how the team has been playing this year and has been, how he's been used offensively. And also, Kirchner um, cited that McMillan uh, does not call plays for John Collins, which is which is true and has been admitted before. And that Collins has uh, talked to McMillan about this in the past, but the conversations have not been properly addressed is the way that um, Kirchner was reporting that. So I think overall right now, Collins is definitely frustrated about the team's play, it seems, uh, as all guys are. We're we'll going to that more with Tyler in a second. But there's lots of frustration going on with this Hawks team because of the losses that are piling up and the lack of success defensively, for sure. I think what jumps out to me, though, is the reporting about um, him challenging the locker room to play together and commit to one another. Because honestly, that sounds like something that would happen when a team is losing and playing well below its normal baseline. Um, Shams included a quote from Collins that I was actually on the Zoom for on Friday after the loss of the Lakers, and the quote is that Collins said, I banged my head in the wall a couple times trying to figure it out myself. There's really no excuse. All I can say that is that it's unacceptable, and we have to dig down and do all the things necessary to win, or this, could be, this is going to be the result every night. End quote. So I don't think that's, that quote's necessarily revelatory in terms of like, what he wants in terms of personal stuff, but I think he's frustrated with the results. The Hawks definitely are across the board, from you know Nate McMillan to Travis Schlenk, who's obviously made some pretty candid comments to um, you know Collins to Mcdonovich to Gallinari to Capella. All these guys have expressed some frustration in recent days. So I don't think this is that this that this means that Collins is going to be traded. In fact, I would definitely note this. Um, nowhere in the reporting from Shams does it say that Collins is even available to be traded or that he's asked for a trade or that he's got interest in Philadelphia. None of that stuff. It was kind of weaved together in a way to uh, you know, get some eyeballs for sure. But I think it's worth, again, emphasizing that nowhere in that reporting is there anything um, directly correlated to Collins being traded for Ben Simmons or Collins being traded at all. So it's very early in the process, but that's where I wanted to leave it for now. And uh, we'll get into some of this stuff with uh, Tyler in a moment. In terms of format for these two shows, just a reminder, um, this podcast from this point forward will be myself and Tyler talking about all kinds of stuff. And we'll, have a, we'll have a break at the end of that show, and then part two will pick up where we left off talking about um, this, this trade stuff with Simmons, Collins, Cam Reddish, etc., as well as the Hawks defense, how they've been playing so far, what, what the next step is for this Hawks team, and much more. So, with all that said, we'll get into a break now. here hear from our sponsor on the show, and when I come back, we'll, we'll have Tyler Jones and myself But first, a word from our friends at PrizePix. Attention, NBA fanatics, I have to tell you about PrizePix. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of. In football, it's yardage, touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an over on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. PrizePix allows mid- mixed sports entries. You can take the over-on LeBron combined with the under-on Mahomes in the same entry and that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I am joined now by good friend of the podcast. It's been about a month and it's also a monthly trade deadline, kind of appropriate timing as I bring in Tyler Jones. Hello, sir. How are you,
1: Brad? I have one question.
0: <laughs> okay. It's the
1: only thing that matters in the sports world. What was Staley thinking, not calling that timeout?
0: Um, I I don't know. Maybe he like kind of blacked out, or maybe he was he trying to
1: maybe about the tie. I, so I didn't watch the game. I didn't watch the game. In fact, I didn't even know the game went into overtime until I, you know, I checked Twitter later that night. I had no idea because I, I get off. I'm off Twitter a lot more because I got, I got some stuff I'm dealing with uh, in my real life. So real life. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but um, yeah, so I knew about the tie. I saw the Jaguars lost or Jaguars <laughs> won Somehow they beat yes. the Colts and I'm like, wait a minute, the tie is in play. And so if you don't know, If the Raiders and the Chargers would have just tied, both teams would have made the playoffs, which begs the question why they would even play the game, right? If if winning the championship is all that matters, both teams should have just forfeited or, like, I don't know, just kneeled it out. (laughs) But instead, they played a real game, but they ended up going into overtime. After a crazy
0: comeback, by the way, after a 15-point comeback in the fourth quarter.
1: By who? The Raiders? By the Chargers. Oh wow! So the Chargers fight back. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then they get to a scenario where there's less than a minute to go in overtime, and like the the Raiders aren't passing the ball anymore, but but the, I guess the Chargers couldn't stop them in, in the run.
0: No, no I don't know.
1: W- wild game, but like my, absolutely my crazy. Own, my my biggest takeaway is like you gotta not call timeout. You just gotta let the clock run, and just hope (laughs) you know you know if the Raiders you know still try to score like I mean it is what it is but like you you got you gotta you gotta go with hey are you really gonna risk it here like you know something weird happening like you guys fumble the ball then we're gonna take in we're gonna try to score so I don't know that was was a fun little that's like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing that is never gonna be an. that's the NFL is gonna do everything in their power so that never happens again but
0: yeah, it was. There was a lot of game theory about that because, like, I guess the argument would be that you know if you don't call timeout, out, uh, you can't like win. I mean, they have, they, have, they were gonna have a chance to win, but like you didn't need to win. You need, at that point you're like, you got you got to play for the tie. I don't know. The whole thing is insane. Um, start, you know, start to finish, the Hawks played in the afternoon, so I was able to watch the whole thing. It was just absolute madness last night. But
1: uh, oh yeah, the Hawks played.
0: They did. They did play. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point. Uh, this is probably gonna be a two part podcast because you know I get going. Um, I do because of the uh, we were actually gonna talk uh, talk on Tuesday night for the first time, and then uh, you reached out to me today, and I, I appreciate you doing that. And we were and you were basically like a lot happened today, so we should start now, um, which is true. So we'll spend the first few minutes here on the trade rumors, if you want to call them that. I wouldn't even go that far. They're not even trade rumors at this point in time, but um, in the last couple of weeks we had the round of Cam is available stuff that has happened four different times over the last year, year and a half. Um, And that happened first. And then today, actually, and then also last week we got the first rumbling from Mark Stein about Ben Simmons being a potential target for the Hawks. And then today on Monday, the 10th, We got a uh, inside pass column from Shams, which I talked about before I brought you in. But um, essentially it was, you know, Ben Simmons is still a target or will be a target or is a potential target of the Hawks. And kind of strangely weaved in there was this John Collins stuff about how John is not happy behind the scenes and et cetera. So uh, crucially, as I, I think I said it once before I brought you in, but I'll say it again now, uh, there was not a report in that column that had anything to do with John Collins being traded to Philadelphia. That was not mentioned in any way, shape, or form, um, nor was it mentioned that he would be available to, in trade at all. Um, but it was all, you know, you know how this stuff goes. People start talking about everything and uh, that ranges from what you would give up for Ben Simmons, whether you want Ben Simmons, whether you want to trade Collins, whether Reddish should be available. I'm going to open up to you. Uh, what do you have on this? Because uh, this is like, you know, aside from the team not being good for the last, Month plus, um, this is now taken over Twitter for the last I don't know twelve hours.
1: So, is it insider information that he got that John Collins is unhappy, or is it John Collins' direct quotes where he says stuff like he's banging his head against the wall? It was interesting uh, to read that, actually because like, he's been saying this for weeks now. Like yeah. it's not new, right? And the thing
0: is, it's not like he said he is unhappy. He's frustrated with that the team is not winning at a bare minimum, which I think is like you know john's competitive and like these guys want to win so it's always hard to find that line between like am i actually up you know upset about my role because that's the weird stuff about this collins thing is like the role framing um both from yeah i
1: know. mean that's weird because i would belie- believe i would believe that uh the first month of the season where like he was just not involved in the offense at all and the offense was sputtering but like Basically, since DeAndre Hunter has been hurt, he's more or less been the established two, number two guy. And, like, his use has been right around where it's been for his last couple seasons. So I don't know about that one. And, like, I mean, he's basically been averaging 20 points a game for, you know, a couple months, like, the last month, and month plus of basketball. So, uh, you know, I think he's more – I think in general, like, everybody on this team is mad that they're losing. And I also believe that they're probably frustrated with certain guys on the team, not executing consistently on defense in particular. Um, and on offense too. And it, and it shows up in their quotes and it's like, it goes back to the, Hey, do, do the Hawks have too many guys? And it turns out maybe they do. Right. Um, maybe they have too many guys on this team who think that they deserve a higher share of the offense than what they get Um, up to and including, I'd even think about, I'd even include Trey Young in that. As weird as it says, I feel like Trey probably thinks he should be shooting even more than what he is right now, which is a lot and have more usage, but you know, he's trying to, He's trying to share the wealth. That's basically the only playmaker on the team. That's not something that he likes. Um, He ideally he wants somebody else to share the load with him. But uh, with the injuries and the COVID, it's a lot. Like to me, a lot of it, like them getting everybody getting COVID at the same time and then coming back at different intervals, is thrown off their timing. Um, I felt like Collins on, you know, Sunday probably had the worst game of the season, uh, going up against the Clippers, you know, uh, going up against the Clippers and a Kongu hasn't, he's been up and down. Um, but like his timing just isn't there. And like, as we saw with Capella and like these, some of these other guys, like it just, you know, when they get COVID, like it just takes, it takes these guys different, you know, timetables to get their, get their footing, but like just in general, they're angry that they're losing. They're embarrassed because they're getting embarrassed by teams. They that I mean that Lakers game, Brad, like, <laughs> like the Lakers great. could the Lakers could not really get decent looks in the half court. Everything they got was in transition. But it was so easy in transition because nobody was getting back. They, you know, it's just like, it's just and and you know, you had the tweet where you're like everybody in your mentions are like fed up with the team right now i I don't blame fans no i mean it's it's understandable like this is one of the times where it's like the hawks effort level on the defensive end is absolutely embarrassing because it's like it's not half court stuff it's not we don't have the personnel to stop guys it's we're not fighting back on defense we're not fighting back we're not fighting over these screens we're not challenging these dribblers on the perimeter like it's the per- the perimeter players on this team, except for Dylan Wright, Dylan Wright and Skylar Mays when he's allowed to play, and TLC, are the guys who fight hard on defense. Everybody else on the Hawks, on the who play on the perimeter, like it's it's it comes and goes. It's, it's like it just depends. Herder gives the most consistent effort, but I mean, as you saw against the Clippers, that was that was that was the guy that the Hawks got from the second half of the season, you know, and the playoffs where he was incredible as a defender. Yeah, he was good. We hadn't, we hadn't seen that Herder all year until last night. And so like, it's like, okay, so you can do it. but but we need you to do it every game. And we need Bogey to do it. Like Bogey was actually closing out hard on shooters and getting in guys' faces and like not scared to get blown by. Whereas, you know, the previous game against the Lakers, like he was just letting Malik Monk take practice shots. And it's like, what's happening? Like, Bogdanovich, you can't be bogey cannot be bad on this bad on defense. Like he can be like this is the worst defense of like he was a lot better last year. And in a lot of ways. And I'm worried. I'm I'm officially worried about about his health problems because like it it reminds me a lot of what Damari Carroll went through when he played through that knee injury and he was never the same basketball player. Uh um so he, he, he hurt his knee during a playoff run, he played through it, Hawks make the conference finals, but he wasn't really productive. Then the next season when he went to another team, like he just didn't, he could never recapture what he, what he was in Atlanta. And a lot of it was, he just wasn't as athletic as he used to be. Um, and I'm worried that Bogey might be going through something similar. Cause like, I mean, it's just noticeable how he's not getting the same rate of threes up on offense and then on defense, like he, like, Malik Monk's not some elite ball creator, but he couldn't – he had zero confidence that he could stay in front of him, so he's just letting him shoot. Um, and it's just too much of – it's too much of that. And, like, I mean, the biggest disappointment has to go to Cam Reddish so as a defender. Like, he's just miserable, like, on defense. It's zero effort, low effort steel plays. If he – He's gambling all the time, getting out of position, and it's causing Dean to scramble. But it's like when you're on the floor, when Cam is on the floor, he's usually playing alongside Gallinari. And if we're scrambling with Gallinari, we're sunk. Because it's just going to take two two additional passes to get Gallinari on the island, and then, like, there's no help. Like, everybody else is, like, you know, cooked. And because Gallinari can't stay in front of anybody, and so it's just – is this snowball effect where they really need to start playing harder. Like that, that's just, that's just reality. And like these trade rumors are coming out and like, I mean, we knew about Cam It's just not. there's nothing really new on the trade front with regards to Cam. It's frustrating as a fan of the team, because I feel like all of as bad as Cam has been, for the team, for the individual, for the Hawks in terms of winning games. As a player, he has clearly shown this year more than any other year of his career, his talent to be one, a very good basketball player in this league if he buys in.
0: We'll have more with myself and Tyler momentarily, but first a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike protein bars in some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy, Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy and by week three of eating healthy you might be thinking, this is just not worth it, where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar, every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year, go to all your secret treat sashes on your home or your pantry or in the office or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet, throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars so when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you, and that way when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, milk brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code Locked15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com. Use promo code Locked15, 15% off your order at Built.com. Today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, well, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code locked on to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers. Available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. This is the never-ending discussion that happens on Twitter or off Twitter, I'm sure, with the entire fan base of, like, where you stand on cam because you know aside from people that are you know crazy on one one side or the other most people i've found are in agreement on how talented he is are frustrated at on some level about it because about his consistency or lack thereof i should say and also like there's the debate on what you do with that because you know he's extension eligible at the end of the season and that does matter no matter what people will talk about like that the money stuff always matters the luxury tax stuff does matter and like do you if you're going to trade him the argument would be that this is probably going to be the time to do it before the deadline. If you want to maximize your return. And there's this whole like nuanced conversation. And like you said, it's not like new, but you just said it, like he's kind of revealed more on both sides of the argument during the season. Like he's shown the, some of the ceiling stuff where he's had big games. He's had, he shot the ball much better, especially when his feet are set this year um he's even had a couple a couple of passing flashes um but at the same time he still has more turnovers than assists for the season his on-off stuff is the worst on the team by a lot like it's really kind of jarring when you look at the on-offs like he's really the worst guy on the team in terms of that stuff it's not everything but that, you know it's not great when you have really bad on-off numbers and then you talk about his defense like i've been banging the drum for Cam Reddish's defense for years and like i thought that was his best trait and I think it still probably is if he dials in, but man, it's not been good. And like you kind of take it for granted, but he's been a big part of it. Yeah. I even, I would argue McDonough has probably been worse, but given where they're supposed to be, like you need Ken to be good. And he's been, like you said, you know, below average is probably even kind. Like the numbers don't oh, like no, he's it. He's not
1: below average. Uh, and he's, I mean he's one of the worst defenders in the NBA. Well,
0: <laughs> I mean, I was about to say, like, you know the numbers paint a really ugly, ugly picture and every, every once in a while, I'll have, have a pop play. And, you know, that's the, the thing that he's always been best at is his like ability to read defenses and uh, sort of read offenses and make, uh, make plays as a defender, not necessarily like be a one-on-one guy, but it's all been worse. I'm not sure if that's, I mean, you talked about effort. I'm not sure if it's because he's taken, he wants more on, on offense. There's always been that buzz behind the scenes that he just wants a bigger role on offense and um, all that stuff. So, I mean, we can't make decisions of course, but I'm wondering like, what you feel now, is it like time to not give up? I don't, I don't want to frame it as giving up on Reddish, but is it time to like make him even more available in trade and like kind of actively look to move him or are don't you know going to see I what happens? I don't know
1: how Schleinck could make him even more available than we are. <laughs> well, got.
0: Here, here's the line. The line of the sand would be, and this is, I'm not reporting anything, but you know, you hear stuff. And the line of the sand might be like at this point for the last year and a half, he's been available, but they're not like, you know, trying, trying to actively sell him to, The first team that calls, if that makes sense to me, that makes sense. Like he's available for a price. People don't like to hear about that, but it's been the case for a long time. You could ratchet it up and be like, all right, we want to trade him now. And now we're going to, we're obviously not going to take the first offer that we get, but it's more like, okay, guys, Cam Reddish is just going, it's going from available to like, we're going to move him in the next month, make your best offer. That's what you could do. I'm not saying they needed to do that. But there is kind of a level up that you can take with, with trade stuff where like you just kind of put the white flag up and be like,
1: all right, guys, come get him because he's, he's going to get moved. Let, let me let me actually pull back a bit before I answer, you know, we talk about even the trade stuff. I want to talk about Campbell. Go ahead. Campbell, the player, a bit more because I had, I had an epiphany. It was against the Bulls when he made like every 3 point, what he made like eight threes that game or something. He had an incredible offensive performance, but his defense was terrible, like. He was just giving up everything Zach Levine wanted and like it was just too easy for Zach like he didn't make him work and it was just like whatever. Um, but it was but he, I mean still it was a great offensive performance. he might have had 30 plus I, I don't remember but
0: was that, was that was that his career high game I think it was actually yeah
1: and, and my my takeaway because I was watching him and I was watching Levine, I was like he might be on the Zach Levine track where he's going to be for your team a negative until he figures it out. But like the the talent is so overwhelming that he might eventually just get there just based on, you know, the smoothness of his jumper, the his ability to get open from behind the three-point line, his ability to create open three-pointers for himself off the dribble. If he could ever, you know, consistently uh, get his handle down, like he, he'll go up another level in that regards, and then that'll, that'll lead to him, you know, getting to the lane and get. To, into the foul line. So, like, I just had this epiphany. I was like, yeah, can's probably got the chance to be one of the best players in the NBA, but it's not going to be in Atlanta. Well, that's, it, it's just,
0: that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just not. Uh, like, uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, there, so, there is definitely some of that, by the way. Not even just like, you know, I, that's something people see, but there's that feeling a little bit around the league, too. Like, not, not that I'm, I'm not woes or anything breaking news, but there is a little feeling like he might be a change of scenery guy. And once that happens, like, it's kind of hard to put it back in the tube. Like, people might just think, you know, that also could be him. I mean, there's a there's been buzz out there in the past. I'm not telling you this is definitely the case, but that he might want to go somewhere else and be able to do more of what he thinks he can do. Um, maybe he thinks that he's been held back. I'm not sure I, if I agree with all that, but, like, that's a viewpoint that's been expressed, at least behind the scenes that I have heard about. I don't know that to be sure, but, like, that's there's some of that, too. It's not just the Hawks. Like, he might want to go somewhere else to have some of that Change scenery stuff, too.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, just, this is just the downside of the NBA and, like, how much money players get. Like, just how, how contracts have exploded over the lifetime of being an NBA fan. Like, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Joe Johnson signed for six years and $120 million or whatever it was, and that was considered an albatross contract. Well when and also it
0: also basically like uh broke up the Atlanta Spirit Group.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it was only what 20 million a season. Yeah. And like you think about it now, 20 million for a two-way wing with real dribble creation, good defense, plus shooter. I mean, he was the top passer. 30 guy in the
0: league at that point.
1: Like that's nothing.
0: Oh no. Literally that's, nothing. That's basically what like he basically got the you know, he got the Bogdanovich contract plus a couple more years, and like exactly, like, like that's, that's exactly, what that
1: was. And, and like, but like that—that's one, but that, but Joe, by that, by he, by the time he was twenty-three, he was a, a I mean that—that that was what he was worth. Like, oh yeah, wanted him. People wanted to give him that contract when he was twenty-three. Not, not, not the second deal, but the first one. The first deal, yeah. Um, uh, you know, when he was 22, 23 years old, like, team saw that when he was on the Suns playing as a third, fourth guy, they saw the potential in him and wanted to give him that type of role here in Atlanta. And so it's – but, like, back then, Joe Johnson was playing in a role. He was just a spot-up shooter, good defender, and he just did his job. Cam doesn't want to do that in Atlanta. And I I even remember DeAndre Hunter at the beginning of the year. How many times he hijacked offensive possessions – doing iso ball instead of just running what the Hawks like to do on offense. And it was like – it was so frustrating.
0: It feels like it was forever ago because, like, since then, they've been awesome on offense, and they're obviously in the top three or four in the league on offense this year. But you're right. Like, people have kind of forgotten this because the defense has been so bad. The first few weeks of the season, people were not happy about the offense, and rightly so. Like, they weren't playing well on offense. And that's – it's kind of been forgotten now because they were winning more than but
1: Because their role wasn't, like – uh, all of a sudden, people were just hijacking roles. Kevin Herter had no place in, on the team apparently to start the season. Remember, he got a DMP rest. Yeah, a weird one. Too. Like they they just rested him for a game because he, he he had no real role. Like his role was taken from from him by DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, and they were playing poorly. And Bogey wasn't playing well either. And Kevin was coming off off the ankle surgery. Like it's just this team is these guys are don't want to fit in these roles that you know is would optimize winning right now like it, it trade runs the offense the highest pick and roll offense and everything flows from there should be it but like guys want to illustrate what they can do like cam reddish wants to show all the tools he has in his tool set so he can maximize his earnings but it's like to me, I, I watch Cam and I'm frustrated. It's like if he would just lock in on defense, consistently play hard, be a, be a movement or spot up shooter, and then off of that, working your dribble drive game, he get as much money as he could handle. Every team is looking for that type of basketball player, but. But like it's just it's inconsistent with him. But that this is an issue with Cam that goes back to even high school. Like this is this, everything that Cam is showing this season is nothing new to anybody who's watched Cam Reddish throughout the entirety of his basketball career since he's been a elite prospect. Like this is kind of more or less the same guy he's always been. He's flashing more, and like he's starting to produce more uh, on the offensive end. But you just it, the efforts just. Comes and goes, and like defensively, it's a lack of attention to detail. It's really he's gambling without a plan, and like it compromises the defense when he does it out in front of of the team. And it's like they they really just need, like to me, I, I mean I, I, I I'm I'm watching this hosting. I'm like, West Wundu gave them so much more than what they're getting from Cambridge and Bogdanovich as well. Like, Bogdanovich is skating right now because I'm talking about Cambridge. Bogdanovich just hasn't been good.
0: No, we. Talk, I mean, from, I, I, I've been, been driving really that home, all, all season long. I've been begging that drum. Like, you know, I'm not worried about his offense, but his defense has been. Uh,
1: I mean, his offense hasn't been a lead either. No, it hasn't. I mean, to be honest. I, it, it's like, been,
0: it's it, been more like, okay, I'll say this. It's been closer to what he was before the, like, obscene run last year. Like, he, his numbers this year are on offense. I want to stress on offense are like fairly close to what he was in Sacramento basically um but a little bit worse but fairly close but defensively like this is the worst i've ever seen him including Sacramento like it's just it's been jarringly bad and i'll yeah, maybe it, but, maybe it's, but, maybe, it's, maybe it's maybe it's health stuff but man it's
1: not the good defense but I, I mean i'll talk about the offense as well but like last year he showed real he was the second playmaker oh yeah i he
0: mean was, they, they i mean they got a lot was, of I, off, he took
1: off. the number 2 option from joe i mean from Joe John Collins last year <laughs> from, Joe, from Joe Johnson, too.
0: No, yeah, I think that uh, but, I mean, he
1: played like Joe Johnson. Well, that's, that's the like, thing. Honestly, hold on.
0: You like, know this. You know this very well. But people, I, I think I always forget this. Like he really was a big, big part of them going crazy in the second half of the last season because he truly was playing like an all star level. In the Second half of last season. Yeah. And that was not necessarily sustainable in my mind because he's never done, it, done that before or since then. But like that gets overlooked. Like he was obscenely good for the last like three months of last season. Like truly, like very, very good. Like obviously through one shooting too, but he averaged like 22 a game. They were staggering yeah, but, the but,
1: but Brad, my thing was he was getting rebounds and assists too. Like he was he was playing confidently, he was handling the, was the ball. Yeah. yeah. He was but doing like all like now, like you watch him, he's got no burst. No. He he's got no burst. Like, and the hope would be that that, 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 that
0: that it gets better after he gets a little bit healthier, but you never know. I mean, he's not the youngest guy. I mean, he's not too old I mean, to, he's have not, to come he's back. He's not
1: he's too young. He's still too young and he, he hasn't been like I know I mean, he's 20, Europe, he's he
0: 29. Been. He's 29. That's not like it it has happened before where guys lose a little bit at 29. I'm not saying it's definitely happening, but he's the older people who realize he is.
1: Just saying. Dang, I thought he was 28 or 27. 29. 29. He's turned 29 in
0: August. So uh, all that's, so, I mean, we, we come back to that if we want to, but I, I do want to make sure we talk about like because we talked about Cam and like, all the frustrations yeah, and trade things, yeah, just to like where are you because you know, again, like people just keep arguing, and I, I don't blame them it's an interesting topic, but there's this back and forth constantly about whether you can trade him, and obviously, there's risk in trading him because of what we just talked about, like his upside is super high, and the team looks silly. And if you trade that guy for a first round pick and he could and he becomes a fringe star, that's that's tough. But also, I mean, what's t- what's don't do it, for the
1: What's what's really tougher for the Hawks right now at this very moment is the basketball player they need to be available to trade to improve this team isn't available. Like they need Jalen Brown to be available. He's not available. Brandon Ingram not available.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, those guys. Could, those guys might be available, but if they're available, it's for an overpay, which the Hawks for shouldn't for do.
1: the type of price that that like. Wouldn't make it worth it. Would it what, yeah. like, where it'd be like, I'd rather just ride it out with DeAndre Hunter and hope that he turns into the type of basketball player they need him to be. And plus, I've been – I mean, all this negativity aside, I've been really impressed by what Herter's done the last couple games. Uh, I feel like he's been more aggressive getting to the rim and finishing. Uh, that's something he had, like – was it the – what game was it where he was just getting to the rack consistently? I think it's against the Kings.
0: Um, I can't I'm going to make sure I'm not wrong on this, but I think that's right. Because he, he had one game where I think you said it, and I agree with you. Like, it was the most – yeah, it was the Kings game. He got to the rim. It was, he, the mo- it was probably was, the
1: most times he drove to the rim in his career. Yeah, he, took, he, been, he
0: took 13 two-point attempts in that game, which I think yeah. is, like, maybe not a career high, but close. Like, he took 13 twos, and that's – I, I mean, think he averages, it, like, half of that or less, so –
1: Yeah. And that's continued. I mean, even against the Lakers, like he had a play where LeBron James was right there. And with no fear, he went up strong with his right hand and finished with with ease Um, with LeBron James, you know, shading him. And so, like, that's something. Herter hasn't done, like Herter doesn't get to the rim and like to see him do starting to do that a bit more and play with, he's playing with a bit more physicality. You saw it on the defensive end. So the good news is that they're going to start playing better, but I mean, with, with these reports coming out and these guys, multiple guys, clearly not happy with what's going on with the team. Trey young was really mad because he had a bad game on offense. And now he's going to, you know, when he has a bad game on offense, he sulks more than he, he usually does. Like when, you know, compared to, the, when when he's going well and off when he's going well and off he, he tends to be more optimistic but if he has a poor game he it, it kind of just like combined with the losing bleeds into frustration and so w- we'll see how they respond I guess they play what on Wednesday we'll we'll see what I don't know like the, the answer to the camp question I would just I mean they got to trade them I guess but it sucks that the player that they would like to trade him for isn't available. You know? Yep. Ideally, they could trade for Jimmy Butler. Uh <laughs> not the, available. the way the Timberwolves traded, traded for Jimmy Butler all those years ago. But like that deal is not available for anybody. Nobody of that caliber is available. The only guy available is Ben Simmons.
0: All right, that will wrap up part one of this two-part episode. Again, part two is available in your feeds right now as we speak. We'll talk about Ben Simmons and all that kind of stuff on the show. Please follow Tyler, check out this podcast, subscribe, and we'll see you with part two.